You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Well, good morning. How are we doing? Good, good. That sounded halfway convincing. Open your Bibles to uh, the book of Proverbs. We're going to be in Proverbs uh, only for this morning. We are beginning a brand new series uh, that I have titled, Why Did This Happen? And if you are tuning in online, I want to say to you as well, welcome in. Glad you are tuned in. Uh, would love to see you in person, So, unless you're sick, and then stay home uh, and come back next week or the week after. Uh, years ago, when I first came to this church, uh, 15 years ago now, almost, February would be 15 years, I learned very quickly that this church was different. Uh, there was a high level of acceptance for people with, how do I say this, a decorated past. And I was one of those people. I was one of those people. I lived a life very distant from Jesus uh, in that time, uh, starting in my childhood and really, honestly, even up into my adult years. uh, I experienced a lot of hurt, a lot of pain. And as a result of that hurt into my adult years, I made some pretty bad decisions. And so the prospect of coming to church was risky for me. Like, I think that's a good word for it. It was a a risk, right? Uh, There were so many questions I had when I first came that first day. What are these people going to think of me when I walk in? You know, how will these people ever welcome someone like me who has done some of the things that I have done? How am I ever going to be accepted among Christians in general? How am I ever going to measure up? Because I wasn't a Christian when I first came here. First day, didn't know the Lord at all. And so I had a lot of questions. There was a lot of risk involved coming here for the first time. But I took a chance. I came here. I fell in love with Jesus. I quickly began dealing with my past. I joined a freedom group. I started working through those hurts, some of those experiences that that I had been through that had shaped in a lot of ways who I was. And in the process, I learned things about people, including myself, things that everyone have in common. As different as you may be from the person sitting next to you or the person that you work with or the person that is always arguing with you on social media... All of us have a few things in common. Number one, I learned that everyone has experienced some level of pain. Everyone has experienced some level of pain. It's true. No one is exempt from this. What I quickly figured out is that everyone in my group had some experience that was really hurtful in their life. There were varying levels of hurt. Some people had, you know, some less intense experiences that were just hurt, hurtful in their context. Some people had high-level trauma in their lives. But everyone has some level of pain at some point in their life. Number two, I learned that everyone has made bad choices because of their pain. And so it's funny that historically, when you think about the church, specifically in in pop culture, you think of the addict or the alcoholic as like the minority in the group, right? You think, like think again of of a movie that depicts the church uh, where the church is, you know, some kind of central part of the the main storyline. There's always that one guy, you know, he's the town drunk and no one wants him around. The church is like this beautiful group of people, and everyone's happy, and everyone has beautiful families. And there's always that one like town drunk. No one wants him around. When he comes to services, everyone's like really uncomfortable or angry that he's there. He has this dark past. He's done horrible things. He's kind of just seen as the outsider. 
And what I learned here in these groups is that if we're willing to be honest, all of us are the town drunk. Everyone is. Even if you have a relatively clean past, all of us have made mistakes at some point in our lives that qualify us as an outsider, uh, quote-unquote. So here's how this plays out. I came to church with some shame about my past, about some of the things that I had done, and, 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 and I, what I quickly learned was that I was being welcomed by a group of people who were really no different than I was. It almost felt like a homecoming in some ways. I like, go, these are my people. We're all screw-ups. Amen. This is one of the reasons I love sitting on a hill, because when you're all about the help, hope, and healing of Jesus, you tend to attract people who need the help, hope, and healing of Jesus. Everyone has pain. Everyone has made bad choices as a result of their pain. And third, and probably most importantly for our time this morning, everyone wants an explanation for their pain. You know, there's, there's huge relief that comes when you learn that you're not the only person that's made the mistakes that you've made. And there's a tremendous amount of very powerful healing that takes place when you can share your pain openly and honestly with others who have experienced that same kind of pain in their lives. But at the end of the day, Everyone is still left with that one question when they look back on those hurtful experiences. Why did this happen? Why did this happen? And immediately, our human condition is that we want to blame someone, don't we? Is it God's fault? Was it my fault? Is it someone else's fault? Why did this happen? Who can I blame for this? Who is going to take responsibility for this thing that has hurt me? And so this morning, as we begin this new series, we're going to be asking this question, why did this happen? And we're going to ask that question not to one, but to three different books of the Bible. The Old Testament has a, a genre of literature, a section, if you will, that we refer to as the wisdom literature. And these books are meant, the sole purpose of these books are to impart wisdom, God's wisdom, to God's people. And there are three of them, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. This morning, we're going to be spending our time in Proverbs. And what we're going to find in Proverbs is a very generalized answer. For Proverbs, we can understand why things happen based on a very simple formula, which is whether or not you've lived by wisdom. This book has a very simple way of seeing life. It's an overly simple way, I would say, of seeing life. Proverbs 1, 32 and 33, it says, For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them, but whoever listens to wisdom will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. So people who live foolishly, uh, they will face consequences. People who live by wisdom, they, their minds can be at ease. They have security. They don't have to fear disaster coming upon them. In other words, if you just break this whole thing down, if you live by wisdom, you're blessed. If you lived foolishly, you face the consequences. And so when we look at the book of Proverbs and we ask this question, why did this happen? Proverbs specifically is going to answer us back with another question which is, have you lived by wisdom? Because if you have, what Proverbs is going to say is it explains why, why what has happened has happened. All the good things in your life are a result of living by wisdom. You've made wise choices. You've been blessed as a result of those wise choices. If you haven't, then it explains why some of the bad things have happened. It explains why there is pain in your life. You made foolish choices, and now you are walking out the consequences of those foolish choices. Now, I want to point out before we go any further that I am using the word choices very intentionally, very intentionally. In order for this morning to make 
any kind of sense to you and for you to get anything out of this that is at least helpful, we have to understand the difference between pain as a result of circumstances and pain as a result of choices. The two are very different things. They're very different things. Circumstances are those things that have happened in your life, those painful events in your life that you have no control over. And no matter how much wisdom you live by, circumstances happen not because you did or did not live by wisdom, but as a result of sin. We live in a fallen world. The world is unpredictable. It's confusing. It's random. And and, and so things happen no matter what we do. They're outside of our control. That's circumstances. Choices, on the other hand, are those decisions that we make that have a cause-effect relationship with us. Proverbs is interested in that. Proverbs is all about choices. Wise choices equal blessing in your life. Foolish choices equal consequences in your life. And that is such an important distinction for you to understand here this morning. I say that because some of you have had some really high-level trauma in your life. And I do not want you walking away from here this morning thinking that somehow you caused it. Or that if, if you had only lived with different choices, then, then maybe you could have avoided it. This was somehow your fault. It's not your fault. That's not what I'm saying at all. The world is confusing. It's complicated. It's a fallen reality. And Proverbs doesn't even want to deal with that. What we're going to do is next week deal with that aspect of it in the book of Ecclesiastes, because that's really all Ecclesiastes is about. Proverbs presents a very simple view of the world, and it is interested in only the choices that you make and not critically not the circumstances that you have endured. So please understand that, especially if you are a victim of sexual abuse or any other kind of abuse, abuse, emotional, uh, physical, do not walk away this morning thinking that somehow what happened to you was your fault. Those are circumstances. Those are not choices. Those have nothing to do with wisdom. Those are just the result of a fallen world and, and, and sinful bad things happen. And we'll talk about next week how to deal with that. Now with that said, Are we clear on that? Good. Now, with that said, a a lot of pain in our life, if we're being honest, and we need to be honest, it's church, right? A lot of pain does come from our choices that we've made. And one of the strengths of Proverbs, then, is that it forces us to reckon with those choices that we've made, to look in the mirror and look at the things that we have done and take ownership for that which we are responsible for. Part of the journey of spiritual and emotional maturity is learning the skill, and it is a skill, it's not something we do naturally, learning how to look at my side of the street and own what is mine, make right what I can, and then move on. That's a major goal of the spiritual journey. Proverbs is particularly helpful in this endeavor. It lends itself well to this kind of practice, but before we can understand what wisdom does for us, We have to understand what wisdom is. We need to have a good working definition of it. So we are going to begin this morning with the character of wisdom. What is wisdom? What is wisdom? You hear this word, you know, probably fairly regularly, especially if you're in church with any sort of regularity. But even in the world, wisdom is a word that is used here and there. But what is it? If you were to look in the dictionary, a modern definition of it would be something like this. The act of using knowledge, experience, understanding, or common sense. The act of using knowledge, experience, understanding, or common sense. Now, if I'm being honest, that's not too far off. It's a pretty good definition of wisdom. 
I believe Proverbs unfolds wisdom in a much richer way, though. There's a a bit more to it than just that. What does the Proverbs say wisdom is? For one, it says that wisdom is an attribute. Wisdom is an attribute, specifically an attribute of God, and even more specifically than that, an attribute that God uses in creating the world. So a good definition, if we were going to define wisdom in the book of Proverbs, I would define it this way. It is an invisible set of laws that govern everything in creation. An invisible set of laws that govern everything in creation. Now, that may sound strange to you, but it's true. Proverbs recognizes that wisdom is not only an attribute of God, but it is an active attribute that God used in creation. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see how God creates the heavens and the earth. There are six days of creation. On the seventh day, he rests. But in those six days, there's great harmony. There's great design and intentionality by how God creates everything. He he creates out of nothing. He speaks, and it comes forth. And there is beautiful design in the way that he does all of this. And then in chapter 2 of Genesis, we get a kind of more specific look at how he creates man and woman. In Genesis 1, it just says he creates the male and female in his image. Genesis 2, we get a much more in-depth look at how that all unfolds. But the book of Proverbs is going to give us another detail about this creation narrative. Proverbs is going to tell us that in chapters 1 and 2, while God was creating, he was doing it by the attribute of wisdom. Proverbs 3.19 says that the Lord, by wisdom, founded the earth. By understanding, he established the heavens. God's wisdom is active in creation. This is why I titled the message this morning, A World of Wisdom, because it is woven into the very fabric of the world, into the fabric of the universe. Wisdom is this invisible set of laws that govern the universe because they are a binding law that God has put in place at creation. So they're an attribute. But not only that, Proverbs describes wisdom as an action. An action. The word for wisdom in Hebrew, in the original Hebrew language, it's the word chokmah, and it's, it, it's, it means something like a skilled artisan who excels at their craft. A skilled artisan, so like a John Lipitsky, if you will. Uh, just an incredible workman. Uh, I mean that in the, every way I, I, I can. Think about like a woodworker or a stonemason, or for me, one of my hobbies uh, when I'm not here is I like to cook. And, and there are a few chefs that I follow on different social platforms that I'm, I'm just amazed at, the, the technique they exhibit and the ideas that they have and the things that they're able to do. That is a good word picture or a good image for what wisdom really is. It's not just knowledge. It's not just knowing how to do something. It's applying the knowledge. There is an, a, an, an element of action involved in it. So here's what that means. I mean, practically speaking, here's what it means. You can identify whether or not someone is wise, check this out, not by what they know or say, but by what they do. There's an action element. Sometimes people will come to me and ask for my advice or counsel on something, and I'll give them my advice. And they're like, wow, that, that's, there's such wisdom in that. I'm like, well, you haven't done it yet. You don't know. It may be terrible advice. <laughs> there may be no wisdom. You've got to go do it and see if it works, and then, then you can say that was wise. Because wisdom is acted upon. It is an action. Proverbs 10.9 It says, whoever walks in integrity walks securely, and he who makes his ways crooked will be fined out. There's there's an element of action here. There's not integrity in what this person says 
or what this person thinks or what this person knows, but what he does. He walks in integrity. He makes his path according to the wisdom, and that demonstrates his integrity. So wisdom is an attribute. It's, it's binding on creation. It's an action. It's something that we do. And third, it is available. Wisdom is available, and I really love this part. Wisdom is personified in chapter 1 as a woman in the streets crying out to be heard. And, and you have to think of this in its modern or in its ancient context, rather, um, that women were uh, people who did not exhibit power in the ancient world. They were dependent upon others. And so a woman in the street crying out for someone to hear paints this picture of desperation, of please listen to me. There is an, a heightened intensity to this. And this is how, how wisdom is personified. Uh, Proverbs 1, verses 20 through 23. It says, Wisdom cries aloud on the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O oh simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in their scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you, and I will make my words known to you. It's saying that wisdom is crying out for you to listen. And if you will open your ears and hear wisdom, you will receive it. Wisdom is available to anyone who will listen. To anyone who is willing to turn away from what they think is best and yield themselves to this invisible set of governing Laws. Proverbs 19.21, it says, Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Wisdom is saying, listen to me. Stop making plans on your own and listen to the counsel of God. It's funny that we think about wisdom, again, in our modern context, it's, it's usually seen as something that's very rare and hard to find, isn't it? It's the secret set of understanding that only a few find. Only the elite find wisdom. Only the sages of this world find wisdom. There's always that one town sage or the wise man, the owl, right? The, the one person in the town that can lead everybody else to the wise way of living. And there are very few who actually find it. That's not what the scripture says at all. Wisdom wants to be found. Anyone can find it. Anyone who is willing to relinquish control over their lives and yield themselves to God can find it. This is why sometimes people, people will ask, how, how is it that there are people who are not Christians who seem to live such good lives? Have you, ever, have you ever known anyone like that? Where you look at someone and you're like, man, they have this great family dynamic and they make good financial choices. Like they seem to have wisdom in their finances and they make good decisions with their time. Like they just have a good structure to their lives and they just seem to really live a good balanced life. And, and then you find out they're not Christians. And you're like, how is that even possible? How do they embody such like biblical value and biblical characteristics when they don't even know Jesus? It's because they've tapped into a wisdom that's woven into creation and available to anyone who will listen. It's available. It doesn't mean that they're saved. It doesn't mean they're going to heaven. It doesn't mean that they love Jesus or that they're moral people or anything like that at all. But it is possible to hear wisdom because it is available to anyone who will listen. It's a governing law crying out. So Proverbs paints a pretty rich picture of what wisdom is. And if we're going to live by it, we, we need to know those things, right? It's an attribute of God that was active in creation. And so it's a binding law in the world. 
But more than that, it's an action. It's not just something that you learn. You can't get wisdom by just going to a Bible study. You have to get wisdom through action. And it's available to anyone who will listen, anyone who is willing to humble themselves and hear the counsel of God. That's the character of wisdom. Next, let's talk about the chance of wisdom. Proverbs has a lot to say about this, and particularly this part I think is helpful when we come back to the big idea of why did this happen? This is going to help explain some things, I hope, for you. Now, what do I mean by the chance of wisdom? Remember that I said that Proverbs says, if you live by, by wisdom, you will be blessed, and if you live foolishly, you will receive consequences. Now, that's not totally accurate. Really more accurately, Proverbs says, if you live by wisdom, there's a chance of blessing. And if you live foolishly, there's a chance of consequences. You could say it this way. This is the truth. Proverbs is about probabilities, not promises. Proverbs is about probabilities, not promises. Proverbs is speaking in generalities. In general, these things will be true. In general, these things will happen, but they're not necessarily a promise that they will happen every single time they are acted upon. Let me give you some examples so you can understand what I mean by this. Let's talk about the chance of a long life. That's one of the things that Proverbs deals with, the chance of a long life. Everyone wants a long life, right? Very few people who are like, I want to die young. If you do, you need a freedom group. Let's talk after. That's not a healthy way of thinking. We all want to live. We all want to live a long life. Proverbs 10, 27 says, the fear of the Lord prolongs life, but the years of the wicked will be cut short. Oh, that that were actually a promise. Amen. This is generally true. It's not always true. In other words, there are some people who do not fear God, who live wildly foolish lives, and they live annoyingly long years. And you just are like, why? How is this person still around? And then there are others who, who certainly fear God. They love God, and, and they're obedient to God, and yet they die young. Right? We need to look no further than the New Testament, the apostles. The apostles exemplify what it means to love God and fear God and obey God, and yet all of them die young. Their lives are not prolonged. Other than John, who was just sent off to Patmos Island after his execution failed, and he lived there for the rest of his days in exile. People at one point thought John was a madman. Now, we don't believe he was, but he was absolutely not the ideal, prolonged, wonderful life that we think of when we read a verse like this. So this is sometimes true, but it's not always true. In general, it's true. In general, if you fear God, the fear of God is going to orient your life to make decisions that will lead to a better chance of living a long time. If you are foolish, those choices that you make out of foolishness will put you in an environment that are going to put you at risk for potentially shortening your life. But it's not always true. It's a probability, not a promise. How about this one? And this is probably the biggest one. It's the one that, that we do the most disservice to. The chance of godly children the chance of godly children. Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, to be fair, uh, just if we're, if we're reading this at face value, this does not say train up a child in God's way. It just says in the way he should go, which means this is giving a generality about both directions. 
Train up a child in a godly manner, and in general, he shall not depart from it. Train up a child in a non-godly manner, more likely not, he will not depart from it. But again, it's, it's not always true. If you raise your child in a godly manner and you instill a love for Jesus in them and you instill a conviction in them for what is right according to Scripture, there's a good probability they'll stay the course. But is that always true? No, of course not. And conversely, you can do a really crappy job raising your kids to love God and they still end up loving God. I know, because I was one of them. In general, this is true, but it's not always true. And I have to say this, I'd be remiss if I didn't, that we've probably done more damage over the years in church misinterpreting this verse than any other verse in the Old Testament. And it comes down to a basic misunderstanding of Proverbs as promise, not probability. Because what happens is if we understand Proverbs as a book of promise, then we leave a lot of well-meaning parents who have honestly done a really great job raising their kids in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, wondering why they're such failures. And so they're left asking this question, what do we do wrong that everyone else got right? And they end up shouldering a kind of blame that they were never intended to shoulder. That's a wrong view of parenting. Listen, mom and dad, as much as I sometimes wish it were true, we are not sovereign over our kids' salvation. You don't get to make that call. And honestly, thank God for that. Because that's way more weight than we could ever possibly handle. And if it were up to us, they'd be way more screwed up than they already are. Proverbs is about probability, not promise. There's a good chance if you raise them in the fear and the admonition of the Lord, they'll stay with it. Generally, that's true, but it's not always true. What about the chance of peace? Proverbs 15.1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. This is probably my favorite proverb, if you want to know the truth. I love this proverb. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. It's about as practical as it gets. If you are in a dispute with someone and they are angry, this proverb, generally speaking, will do you a lot of good. If someone is angry with you and you speak harshly with them, they will very likely become more angry. They move from Bruce Banner to the Hulk almost immediately. But if you speak calmly and gently to them, still speak truth, but calmly and gently to them, there's a good chance their anger will dissipate. This is true in general. Case in point on why it is not always true. Who spoke truth with calmness, gentleness, compassion, and self-control better than anyone who's ever lived? Amen. Look at that. I mean, it was an underhanded softball that I gave you, but you hit it out of the park. I'm going to give you that. That was really good. Clear answer, Jesus. Yes. And did it turn away wrath? No, they crucified him. So Jesus, he demonstrates how this is a probability, but not necessarily a promise. There's a high chance, though, that you will have more peace in your life if when someone is angry with you, you respond calmly and not with more anger. It's just a good life lesson to take under your wing. Let's do one more, just for the fun of it, because I, I really, my, my hope is to end up on TV one day, and I think this point, this point is, gonna, is gonna do it for me. Let's talk about the chance of wealth. Hope the cameras are rolling. We're talking about money now. Proverbs 10.4. A slack hand causes poverty, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. There it is. God wants to give you wealth. 
wrong. Now, let's be honest, though. This is, in general, a true proverb, and especially in the ancient context where your work was likely labor-based. It is true, in general, that if you work diligently and longer and with greater care, you will receive greater reward. If you do not work that well, if you only put in two hours, come at the end of the day, you are likely not going to get paid. Jesus tells a parable about this, actually. The, the day laborers, where there's a few that show up at the very end and they get the same wage, and people are like, what? Because in general, this proverb is true in the marketplace. He was only here for like an hour. Why is he getting paid for 10 hours worth, right? In general, that is true. But it's not always true. There are sometimes people who work very diligently their whole lives, and, and they don't ever accumulate much wealth at all. There are some people who don't work hardly at all, and somehow they always seem to have more money than everyone. It's just the way the world works. And we're going to talk next week, again, about the inconsistencies of the world. The world is a very unpredictable place. And, and so we got to figure out, how do, we, how do we deal with those inconsistencies? And, and, and Ecclesiastes is going to deal with that. But in general, again, this is a true proverb. Now, it's important for you to get this aspect of Proverbs. Probability, not promise. Especially when we begin to talk about why did this painful thing happen or why did this good thing happen. I mean, it does explain both. Because for some of you, here's the, here's the reality. Some of you, you do have pain in your life from unwise choices you've made. And, and, and so you need to wrestle with that. Proverbs is going to push you into wrestling with that. You need to consider tapping into God's wisdom and making better choices. Absolutely. But for some of you, you've made wise choices. You've tapped into this. And yet you still find yourself in pain. Things didn't go right. Things didn't go as planned. Maybe you're battling some kind of really devastating illness right now. And you're looking at Proverbs 10, 27, and you're like, well, I feared the Lord, and yet my life doesn't look like it's going to be prolonged. Where are you at, God? Why is this happening? Maybe you're looking at Proverbs 22, 6, and you're like, I raised my kids to love Jesus, and they walked away. Why did this happen? Or you're looking at Proverbs 10.4, and you're like, man, I've worked my whole life really diligently, and I have nothing to show for it, and now I'm in this financial bind, and I can't provide for those who I love. Why did this happen? And what you need to understand is that you didn't do anything wrong. Proverbs is about probabilities, not promises. And in your case, in that one instance, it, it just the probability didn't work out. The world is unpredictable, and it happens. And, and come back next week, and let's talk about what you do in those instances. But for now, hear this. Don't beat yourself up for it. Don't play the what-if game. What if I had done this more? What if I had done this less? Proverbs is about probabilities, not promises. And in some cases, the probability works against us. Overwhelmingly, it works for us. In some cases, it works against us. There's a chance in wisdom. There's probability, not promise. Last, we'll spend the rest of our time here, <clears throat> there's the channel of wisdom. The channel of wisdom. In other words, how does wisdom get to us? What channel does it come through? We said that it was woven into the fabric of creation, but how do we recognize it? It's an invisible set of laws that govern everything, but how do I learn what those laws are? It's crying in the street, but how do I hear it? What channel does wisdom come to us through. You know, right now, it's Sunday, and for the last 18 weeks, the great American tradition on Sunday is football. And there are today, as there have been for the last 18 weeks, probably anywhere between 8 and 10 games on television, sometimes all at one time. 
And so you have to know which channel to access in order to watch the game that you want to watch. So if you're in Green Bay, you need to know what channel the Packers are on. If you're in Kansas City, you need to know what channel the Chiefs are on. And if you're anywhere else in the world, you need to know what channel the Cowboys are playing on. All of those games are on TV, but they're on different channels. And if you're on the wrong channel, you're not going to get the right thing that you're looking for. Wisdom is the same way. Wisdom has a channel. There's a channel that wisdom comes through. And the book of Proverbs tells us that that channel is the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. It's a major, major important phrase in this book. In fact, it forms the thesis, the big idea of the book of Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the major way that you begin a life of godliness. It begins with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs is going to go on in chapter 9, verse 10, and say something very similar. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So, so if, if I'm going to possess godly knowledge and godly wisdom in my life, the proverb says that all of that begins, the starting point, the starting line is the fear of the Lord. Now, some of you may be thinking, well, I thought fear was a bad thing. I, I thought we weren't supposed to fear. Paul says in 2 Timothy 1.7, for God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So if fear is so bad then why is God telling us we have to have it in order to have knowledge and wisdom? This is confusing. Well, we talked about this a few weeks ago, how the Bible presents two kinds of fear, two different kinds of fear. Second Timothy uh, uses the Greek word delia, and it's a word that means l- literally timidity, to be timid. It conveys the idea of cowardice. It implies really a lack of faith. In other words, what it's saying is that rather than trusting the Holy Spirit to do what God has called you to do, this delia, this fear prevents you from that. It leaves you cowering in the corner, scared to death, timid to do what God is asking you to do. That's not the same kind of fear in the book of Proverbs. It's a different word. It's a different, different language in Proverbs, but it's a different understanding of this word entirely. It's the Hebrew word yela'e, and it's a word that means piety or reverence. It's a healthy kind of fear. I used this illustration a few weeks ago as well that I got from, uh, I first heard this from Bart Castle in my Wednesday night class, that, that you, could, you could liken the fear of the Lord to a fear of electricity. And electricity is really helpful and, and wonderful in so many ways. It makes so many things possible in my life. It turns on the lights. It powers the AC and the heat. It gives appliances life. It, it brings to life so many things that are necessary and good that make life better, but there's danger to it as well. So I can celebrate electricity, but I better also have a healthy fear of it, a reverence for it, because if I mishandle it, if I misunderstand it, it can actually kill me, right? Fear of the Lord is the same way, that God is the source of all good things. James 1.17 says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights. So we celebrate who God is in our lives. We celebrate the relationship that we have with God, but we do so with caution because we recognize if I mishandle God, if I misunderstand God, if I utilize God in a way that is incorrect, I can actually die from it because God is sovereign and he holds the keys to life and death over me. And so I have to use reverence. I have to recognize I am 
crucially, not God. But God is, and he has total authority, and so I ought to live accordingly. The idea in Proverbs is that ultimate wisdom only comes to those who recognize you're not in control, but that God is. Wisdom begins in your life. True wisdom begins in your life when you rightly understand you are not God, you are not in control of anything, but God is, and his counsel is better than yours. But it's hard though, isn't it? It's very difficult. It requires letting go, letting go of the control that you think you have. By the way, you don't have any control of your life at all, but you think you do. And so it requires releasing that control, but that is so difficult. If we're just being honest, it's hard. But listen to me. If you are experiencing pain from the choices that you have made, Proverbs is telling you that chances are you made your choices, not God's. You lived by your wisdom, but not God's. And so here's how this works. This gets very practical. I'm going to start really tampering with you here for a moment. Come back to the discussion of circumstances and choices for a moment. Circumstances are those things that are outside of your control. So let's say something bad has happened to you, a bad circumstance that you cannot control. Maybe it's an unexpected death in your life. Maybe you've been hurt by someone important to you. Maybe you've been betrayed by someone close to you. Maybe you've suffered the loss of an important job that's going to cripple you financially, that takes away all kinds of security and way for provision. Whatever it is, let's assume that it's a circumstance that's outside of your control and it is painful. Overwhelmingly, this is what I see people do, what I've seen people do for 15 years here. They don't talk about it with other people, they keep it a secret, they keep it close to the vest. They try to deal with that circumstance on their own. You don't let people in. You don't listen to counsel from other people. You decide you can handle this. So maybe it's pride. You think you're tough enough to handle it. Maybe it's shame and you don't want to burden people with your problems. Maybe it's image management. You don't want people to know that you're struggling. Maybe it's embarrassment. You just flat out don't want anyone to know, period. But whatever it is, you keep it to yourself. And let me guarantee you something. I will tell you this is true 10 out of 10 times. The choices that you make in those following moments will always lead to more pain in your life. Why? Because you are operating on your wisdom, not God's. You were tapping into a channel of wisdom, but it was the wrong channel. You were looking at the wrong thing. You were listening to the wrong words. You were listening to the wrong people. And it will only add more fuel to your fire. You have this circumstance in your life, this little fire that you're trying to put out, you put gasoline on it when you do that and it engulfs you. So many circumstances are made infinitely worse because you tried to do it yourself. I can tell you with absolute certainty. I've seen it happen over and over and over and over again, even in my own life. I'm not exempt from this. And so maybe you're thinking right now, oh, okay, I hear you. So what do I do? What do I do? Well, for starters, you get in a 12-step group. I'm not even going to beat around the bush about this. You get into it. We have them all week, all week long. We have open groups on Wednesday. You can come at any point. There's no start time. There's no start time. You just show up. There is a start time. It's 645. I mean like an end date. (laughs) They're not always perpetually all Wednesday. 645. We have an open men's group Tuesday morning. It's amazing. You ought to check it out. We have closed groups 
that go on throughout the year that have actual start dates and stop dates that are also 12-step oriented. You begin working the steps. You want to know why? Because here's what you're going to learn. Step one, we admitted we were powerless and that our lives had become unmanageable. Let me give you a translation of that. We admitted that we were not God and that the choices we were making were causing us even more pain. Here's the truth. Let me give you a truth. You will never find true wisdom until you admit powerlessness. You will never find it. You will search for it, and you will search in vain. You will never find it until you admit powerlessness. Step one is not just step one of the 12 steps. It's step one of wisdom. You have to admit powerlessness. You are not God so live accordingly. That's what Proverbs is saying. And listen, when you do that, you begin to hear God's wisdom. It becomes more clear to you. All of a sudden, the things that you thought were true, you go, wait a minute. Now that I'm not trying to do all of this, it makes a little bit more sense. So often, what I have found is that people will say they're hurting. They're experiencing pain in their life. And, and I'll ask why. What happened? And it's this tragic circumstance 10 years ago. And that's the thing that's crippling me. And, and what happens is as they start going through the process, they discover that there was 10 years worth of choices right after that circumstance that actually are the majority of the pain in their lives. And once they've begun working through those choices and, and working the steps through that, making amends, there's a whole, I mean, there's 12 steps. That was only one, right? So tw all the way through, they get done and they realize, and you're never really done, but you know what I mean. You, you get to a point where you realize, actually, that circumstance, it was painful. It was outside of my control. But really, it wasn't even the main reason why I was suffering. It was all the choices that I made after that because I attempted to do this by myself. And it left me in just absolute destruction. Now, I say this to say that when, when you learn that you are responsible for some measure of your pain, that sounds like bad news. It's actually very good news. Because it's those circumstances you can't control. You can't really do anything about. The choices you can. And so it provides a much easier way to healing. And praise God for that. Listen, we all want an explanation for our pain. Everyone wants it. Everyone needs to know why they hurt. And next week, we're, we're going to talk very at length about the unpredictability of life. And, and I'm going to warn you up front. You come back next week, Ecclesiastes, you're going to make it through about halfway through the message, and you're going to think to yourself, this is the worst message I've ever heard. Why did I come to church today? I would rather be dead. Ecclesiastes is rude. It's just rude, man. It is a... It is a, but if you will make it through it, the life lessons that the teacher of Ecclesiastes wants to teach us, what you find when you put those things together is actually very good news, very helpful, wise news in how to deal with the pain of the circumstances in our lives. But for this morning, what I want you to consider is how well are you living by wisdom? How well are you, are you doing this? Have you tapped into it? Are you on the right channel? Have you released control? Because if you haven't, you're not. Because for some of you, not all of you, but for some of you, the pain that you're walking through is self-inflicted. It's pain that you earned through unwise living. Earned pain. 
It's the worst kind to admit that we have. It's the best kind to have because we can unearn it oftentimes. This is your chance to change it. It's not going to fix the consequences of those choices overnight. It may not ever fix the consequences of your choices. But in general, if you will live by wisdom, it will lead you to a much better, more fruitful, more enjoyable, more pleasing life, and one that is ultimately pleasing to God. And that's the ultimate aim, isn't it? To live a life that's pleasing to God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the book of Proverbs, such a practical look at how when we live by wisdom, it increases the chance of blessing in our life. And, and we don't do that so that we can be blessed. We don't see this as like a, uh, uh, some kind of reward at the end of some meaningless task. God, ultimately, we want to please you. We want to obey you. But, but we recognize that Proverbs says that you want us to have a fruitful life. Obedience isn't just about doing what you say. You desire us to live fruitfully. And with less pain, you designed the world without pain. Pain is merely a, a result of sin. And so we, we take great joy in, in seeing the Proverbs and knowing that your design for us through obedience is to live a life that is fruitful and enjoyable. Not only with one another in relationships, but ultimately with you in a relationship. And so I pray, God, you would give a kind of courage necessary to Really take a hard look in the mirror for all of us this morning and ask those questions, those difficult questions. Have we let go of control? Have we listened to your wisdom? Or are we still trying to do things on our own? And that the Holy Spirit would bring conviction where necessary and encouragement where applicable. That you would build and develop your people here at City on a Hill to be more made into the image of Jesus. For we recognize he is our true wisdom, as Hebrews says. God, we love you. We thank you that you are with us both on the mountain and in the valley, in joy and in pain, and that you give us tools to work through it. pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Thank you. So we will be back next week. Uh, eat a good breakfast. Drink good coffee. Because Ecclesiastes is going to take you... Uh, to school. It's going to be wild, man. God bless you. We'll see you next time.